And so let's read a few verses. Uh, verses 1 to uh, 14 of Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we're examining as an overview, as I've already promised, um, of Ephesians, but we won't be doing all six chapters. We couldn't really. Um, and as we do a quick overview, um, let's see if we can limit just these, the first half of the, of the book of Ephesians, the epistle to one evening we just want to do an overview and not, and not dive too deeply but we'll just read together chapter 1 of Ephesians verses 1 to 14 Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him, who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest, the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Amen. So we're giving an overview of uh, this epistle, the epistle to the Ephesians, and the reason why I give it now, afterwards, when we, when we first began two and a half uh, years ago, uh, two and a half plus years ago, uh, we began with a, a general introduction, uh, giving some idea of who the Ephesians were, who, where Paul was when he wrote this, and, and some other matters that would give us a background information. And it was, and I intended to give some sort of overview, but I, personally speaking, and I'm not one who prepares the message, so I have some say in this. Um, I just find it sometimes you've got, you're going to spend two or three evenings just going through structure. Uh, through doctrinal development, uh, which is all good and, and, and needed, needful, 
but may come across as a bit dry if we haven't spent the time in, in the body itself, in, in the actual words itself. So my idea was, my idea was that we would go through it, and then having now finished the last verse, verse 24 of chapter 6, that we might just have a brief overview of everything that we've just covered in these two and a half years. And we could just look at a big picture because we've, we've actually spent some time sometimes going into the valleys and sometimes on, on, you know, diving deep into the, into the river and going into side streams as they're brought before us. Uh, sometimes spending time on one word, as we did, looking at what the word servant meant. Um, but now we would like us to come back and, and take the plane higher, as it were, and have a more of an overview to see the landscape of, of what Paul is writing, what the Holy Spirit through Paul is writing to the Ephesian church and to Christians of all ages. And it is the case that with most uh, letters, it is seen quite often in Paul's letters, as is the case with most preachers, he begins with doctrine and then moves on to application. So we could say doctrine and then duty, um, a teaching and application, which, whichever words you'd like to use. And we see that here as well in Ephesians. And we could say chapters 1 to 3 are teaching and chapters 4 to 6 are, are application. But these, these divisions aren't strict because we will see, and especially in the prayers that Paul, uh, two prayers that he puts into the first doctrinal section, he, there, there is an application because he's, uh, he's desiring that application would be, would, be, would be given, granted, graciously granted to those uh, Ephesians and to all that read the letter believingly. Uh, to uh, the Ephesian church. So they're not strict. There's overlap, some doctrine in the, in the duty part and some duty in the doctrinal part. But as the Lord's pleased to help us, this week again we'll look, as I mentioned, we'll look at chapters 1 to 3, which we might say is the doctrinal section. And for that whole section, I would suggest, and maybe the whole letter, we could say that... Verse 2 of chapter 1 is, is, is a key verse. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe for the whole letter. Um, because the grace of God and the resultant peace with God through the salvation uh, that has been wrought by Jesus Christ is, is the theme of the whole epistle. And certainly the first three, verse, the first three chapters and, and speaking about... Uh, the gracious goodness of God uh, to his people. And we could say then, maybe the first section, which is doctrinal, is the grace unto salvation and the work of redemption is really glorified in chapters 1, to 2, and 3. And then 4, 5, and 6, the grace that's given to grow in grace in our walk as children of light, uh, etc., as that goes on. Just a broad uh, paint strokes there. Um, grace unto salvation, grace to walk as children that have been redeemed, children of light. All these phrases are found in the epistle. And so I've said then that verse 2 of chapter 1 is maybe thematic for the whole chapter, uh, for, sorry, for the whole epistle, and maybe for the doctrinal side as well. Uh, but it is really of the whole epistle. But I would say there's another key verse, and that's the key verse... For, for the actual doctrinal section itself. So chapters 1 to 3, I think we could really draw from verse 3. 
as, as, as the key verse in what it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. That's that second part. Who hath blessed us in, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And then from there flows forth chapters 1 and 2 and, and, and 3, uh, more especially chapters 1 and 2, clearly three more implied. And so let us consider then, as we, as we consider these, uh, these three chapters together, and we might want to say we could, we could bring those three chapters together and, and, and say these are the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And if we think of a spiritual blessing, we think of grace. The graces, the rich graces that we have in Christ. And what we see then in the, in the verses that we read, at least verses 3 to 14, are the, the Trinitarian blessings of redemption. Because that's what he's speaking of, the Trinitarian blessings of redemption. So not just redemption itself, but all, all the benefits that flow forth or accompany redemption. And some people might recognize that language from the Shorter Catechism. And so then as we open up uh, these, uh, this section, very briefly running through verses 4 to 6 give us, especially, I would say, uh, the, the, the blessings of redemption from the Father. Because he's mentioned the Father in verse 3, then he goes straight in, according as he, that is the Father, hath chosen us in him, which is Christ, before the foundation of the world. And so we could carry on reading. But these verses 4 and 5 and 6, and, and, and carrying on until verse 14... And beyond, but these, as they're looking at the Father, and then after verse um, 7, we're looking at the Son, and then verses 13, uh, verses 13 and 14, we're looking at the Holy Ghost. Uh, but there are just masses of depth here. There are, there, are, there are doctrines that are just mentioned in passing. He begins with the doctrine, the, the, the doctrine of eternal election, straight in, with, with, with deep. Uh, we might say Calvinistic, but Calvin wouldn't. Calvin would say biblical theology. Just biblical theology that we see the depths of, of the, the mysteries. Again, that's, that's a word that Paul uses in Ephesians 3, and that's cr- true because he talks about the mysteries. We're not there yet, but he's referring back to chapters 1 and 2 of these great mysteries, these, these secrets of God that have now been revealed uh, to the people of God. And, and, and this is what he has, uh, showing us eternal election as he hath chosen us. It's the same word that you would translate as election, to elect, the elect. They all come from this same Greek word. According as he hath chosen us, he has elected us in him before the foundation of the world, before anything was created, before the, the earth existed. And he has a, he has a, he has a, 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 a meaning, he has an intention, he has a purpose. Again, purpose is also one of those words that we see coming back again. His eternal purpose according to his pleasure, coming back again. So, the eternal pleasure of the triune God, and as we're looking at now as the Father, has chosen, has eternally elected a body of people to be the redeemed of the Lord. And the reason why he would redeem them is to pull them out of sin, pull them out of corruption, pull them out of damnation and wrath. We'll see that in chapter 2 more of. And to make us holy and perfect. To make us more like this Redeemer, this, this Christ Christ. 
to be perfected in this world, yes, and of course fully in the next, the eternal uh, life. To be what? To be pre- predestinated again. The idea of being chosen, determined. God has not only chosen us, but having chosen us, he's predetermined, he has predestinated, he's, he, he's given us a destiny to be his adopted children. We couldn't be anything else. We could never be his children because there's, only an, there's one only begotten. But to be brought into the household of God, how else would God bring us in but to adopt us? And as we know from elsewhere, that, that adoption gives us um, the same inheritance as Christ. I mean, these are depths and, and riches which are, are, are almost beyond belief, but we are to believe them. So to be uh, predestinated, this is, this, is, this is again this father, the father looking, uh, as it were, and we will be careful, he's not looking ahead and, and seeing if there's something pious in one or two. We, we have a, 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 a rotten, spiritually dead mass of mankind, and it has pleased God to choose some and not to choose others. Having predestinated us, Paul says, we Christians... Unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. It's all through Christ. The Father determined with the Son uh, to fulfill uh, these many matters according to the good pleasure of his will. And, it, and when we see there, according to the good pleasure of his will, it should remind us that it pleased the, God, the Father to adopt us as his children in the same way as it pleased the Father to bruise the Son. And they both have the same outcome to win a people to himself. And, and we begin here in Ephesians 1 to see something of the, of the mystery and the depth of the eternal decrees of God the Father with God the Son. So we see the blessings of redemption from the Father. And we could say more, but we won't. It's an overview. I'll, I'll take the plane a little bit higher again. I'm going too deep. And then from verses 7 to 12, it speaks of the blessings of redemption from the Son. He who has purchased redemption, he who worked redemption, he who paid for redemption with his own, with his own life and through his death. And it, and it begins immediately, through, uh, immediately talks about the redemption through his blood. That there is no redemption in any other way but through the blood of Jesus Christ. So we are redeemed, we're brought back out of sin through his blood, which means what? It means the forgiveness of our sins. And then again, he's bringing in this word, uh, as we've read a few times in, in verse 6. I've missed out verse 6. Let me just say something about verse 6. Verse 6 is, is, is really, uh, I mentioned it in the introduction in the Lord's Day evening. And this is where we get it from. This is where we get it. Why did God do gospel? Why did the Lord set up redemption? And we can say many things, as I said then, but for his own glory. And this is what, where we get uh, that doctrine from, uh, to the praise of the glory of his grace. We can translate that to say, to the praise of his glorious grace, wherein he hath made us who were far off, but now made us accepted in the beloved. And who is the beloved? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 7 then opens up this, this um, blessings of redemption from the Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood. And we abound towards us in wisdom and prudence, making known unto us. Who made the, known unto us? The Son. 
The Son has made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. Or we could say that that's the Father as well, but we know that the, the Son only declared that which the Father had revealed to him. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, nothing to do with dispensational theology, Uh, and dispensation here is, is, is a word that's it's talking about it, it's talking about that which is doled out that which is handed out so there was a time when, it, when grace was doled out to the people of God especially with a few converts and now the grace of God is, is doled out as it were to the Gentiles although the Jews are still attached to it and, and, and have great promises from Romans 9, 10 and 11 yet to be fulfilled but in the dispensation of the fullness of time so here we have the beginning of the, the New Testament here we have uh, the 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 incarnation of the Son of God to become man. And then that work that he did, this is the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Okay, well, so this is, this, is, this is even pointing to the consummation of redemption when this is fully revealed and fully done in Christ. All things, both which are in heaven and are on earth, on earth even in him. Again, going through many other things, it hints, it, it points and just touches upon the inheritance that we have, that we were all predestinated to according to the purpose of him, because we have an inheritance, predestinated unto inheritance, in the same way predestinated unto the adoption of children. That we would be brought in, that he's, not only is he, is he, is he, saving a people, not only is he forming and cleansing his bride, but he's, he's making many brethren uh, who would share in the blessings of sonship. And, we, and again, so the work of the Father was that we would be holy and without blame. The work of the Son is the same in this sense, that we should be to the praise of his glory, that we should, that we should have a witness, that we should bring glory to his name as we live. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Again, that's where the framers got that from that we should be to the praise of his glory in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. The means of grace, the means of grace went forth to the Ephesians, save them, again the word of Christ through, through the apostles and they were saved in whom also you believed and here we come even in verse 13 and 14 then speaking of the blessings of redemption from the Spirit. So very quickly then the, 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 these blessings are what we, we are mentioned here. The word of truth, now he is the author of the scriptures of truth, the gospel of salvation. He is it that works faith in our hearts, in whom also after that you believed. And it says you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So the Spirit has entered in and you've been sealed by the Spirit and not to the Spirit but to Jesus Christ and then it goes on and explains what that sealing is. It says that sealing is a down payment, is an earnest. We looked at that in more detail at the time of our inheritance. In other words, when, you're, uh, when you come to saving faith, the Holy Spirit enters in. And, you, you, uh, and, and in the same way as you can never fall from grace, you can never fall from salvation, uh, you cannot do so because the Spirit seals you 
unto God, unto glory, unto the inheritance, unto the redemption that is yet to be fulfilled. In other words, you have the redemption of, of your soul, but the, the body must also be redeemed, and that will also be the case, case unto the redemption of the purchased re- possession, and again unto the praise of his glory. That's a repeated phrase for each of the for each of the three persons of the Trinity. So Trinitarian blessings of redemption we have in that first two, two-thirds of Ephesians chapter 1. And then Paul, once he's, once he's declared the, the Father as, as in his redeeming work, and the Son in his redeeming work, and, and, the, and the Spirit in the apply, application of the redeeming work, he then moves on to pray for those to whom he is writing. Uh, praying for this congregation or this collection of congregations called the church at Ephesus. And we see a first prayer then, and this prayer, in verses 15 to the end of the chapter, is a prayer for spiritual enlightenment. He wants that their eyes are opened, that those who have been the recipient of these Trinitarian blessings would have eyes opened. And before he moves into that, he he gives a word of thanksgiving. Verse uh, 16, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in all my prayers. And then he goes on to open up the petitions that he makes, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you. Well, he, 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 he prays for and wishes at the same time that they would, they would, I mean, this is not exactly a prayer, but a description of the petitions that he makes in prayer for them. He's asking, he's describing the grace of wisdom that they need, that that there would be more revealed knowledge, that they would have their eyes enlightened and, and open to understand. In some ways, the expression he uses elsewhere, the breadth and the depth of, of, of Christ but he speaks of the hope that we have because we have all these riches, these abundant riches bringing us back to verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Having, having, having put so much compact gospel theology in those 14 verses and now he's, he's explaining, he, he desires that they, he desires that we, would understand more of the depth and, and, and the, the riches and, and, and the, the breadth uh, of, of who Christ is, that we would have that, that wisdom and knowledge and therefore hope in what the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints is. And then and moves on in verses 19 to 23, again just to give glory unto, unto Jesus Christ and the great power of his resurrection and, the, and the, the, the great work of redemption that he's done, the great victory he is as redeemer himself, as we see there, which he wrought in Christ, well, the Father wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand. So this, this redeemer who was dead has been exalted so high that he sits on the throne of God, that he's so victorious, he's far above all principality and power and might and dominion, so that would be earthly and spiritual, and then most especially demonic. He's above them all. 
those that are alive now and those who are not yet born, and, but also in this world and in the world to come, the, the eternal state. And here we see in 22 and 23 that all things have been put under the feet of this glorious Redeemer that we would understand these things, that we would know these things. The Paul who's opened up and just hit one, well, he hasn't opened them up, he's just mentioned them. Predestination, he's talked about election, he's talking about the, uh, the atoning blood, he's talking about the, uh, the redemption, uh, the redemptive work of God, he's, uh, he's talking about what the Father has desired, what the Son has done, what the Holy Ghost has applied and sealed to us, and he wants us to know these things. He wants us to be theologians. Not churchgoers who can, who can just recite and there's nothing wrong with this. Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so. And that is a, that is a, a sweet and simple truth. And I'm not mocking it in the slightest. But as we see here, that the Paul wants us to go deeper. To understand more. Because this is the source of our devotion. That we would know more of who Christ is and what Christ has done for my soul. What Christ has done to bring glory to God and how I am to live to the glory of God. And that's why he breaks out into intercession or at least he describes his intercession to uh, the people of Ephesus. But also for you and me. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The knowledge of Christ. But Christ reveals the Father and it is Christ's own spirit that enters in. So, the triune Jehovah. So we've had that Trinitarian blessings of redemption. That first prayer for spiritual enlightenment for those who've receive those Trinitarian blessings. Thirdly, then, we come into verse 2, chapter 2, sorry, to the Trinitarian work of redemption. I'll just continue that theme because the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost may not be personally mentioned, but they're certainly here. And we begin with those first three verses of Ephesians 2, which are very solemn verses. Very true verses. And we won't open those up because this is an overview, but we just see firstly that we're rotting in our sorrowful, sinful state. And you have the quickened who were dead in trespasses. This is who he had to deal with. Having described redemption, now he's, now he's, he's, he's talking about uh, this was the state of the people before he applies redemption. Again, redemption. So we're rotting in our own sorrowful, sinful state, and we were children of wrath even as others. Again, we're not opening these things up, we're just painting an overview. But then we get to verse 4, and we have that, but God. Woe is us, but God. And then we have that great turnaround, that great hinge of the gospel that's revealed here, but God, who is rich in mercy. We were dead in sins, but he is rich in mercy. For his great love wherewith he loved us. Again, we go back to chapter 1 and consider the electing love of God. The predestinating to be beloved adopted children. So this is clearly the Father here who was rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ. 
Now this is where we, we move very quickly from that sorrowful, sinful state, that, that rottenness to being raised and seated on the throne of Christ. And we spent time looking at this and these are incredible truths that as soon as the Lord saves your soul, that your whole position before him changes drastically. From being a child of wrath to becoming an adopted child of God. From being filthy, uh, from being dead in trespass and sins to be quickened in and together with Christ. And so many other things, but there is a few things that he mentions here. And this is a truth for all, the, all, who, can, who, all who truly believe in Christ. That he has put us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that we are already in Christ because we're found in Christ and Christ is in glory. In some remarkable way, we are also in glory. This speaks of the union that we have, spiritual union with Christ. Again, I don't want to dive in deeply, but we have those three steps there. Not steps, but three uh, positions. So we sit in heavenly places. Uh, with, so we were... We were quickened together we've been raised to, uh, from the dead we've been raised up with Christ we sit together in heavenly places uh, we've been we've been fully restored raised and seated on the throne of Christ because the union with Christ is so is so tight is so uh, narrow is so close that where Christ sits on the throne it is said that we sit on the throne And I must go on from that because that is an extraordinary truth. And it said, moves on that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards. You see, there's a a wonderful future for those that are already sitting in heavenly places. that That there is in these eternal ages to come, there will be even more of the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus revealed unto us eternal day after eternal day. And no eye hath seen, no ear hath heard. But these little little foretastes, these little glimpses of eternal uh, life. And we could go into more detail. We won't. So we're raised and seated on the throne, verses 4 to 10. And then verses 11 to 22, which takes us to the end of the chapter. That we're, we are reconciled with him. Again, the reconciliation is a theme that we see in these, these, these last part that there's a reconciliation with all that believe on him but there's a reconciliation also between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers so from having been been two people being brought to be one people and into one bride and into one body Uh, and Paul labours that point, he spends time to make that clear that those that once are far off are now nigh through the preaching of the gospel that there is one, one people which bringing us back to chapter 1 and verse 10 and that use, the misuse of the word dispensation these days contradicts dispensationalism which still likes to split up the people of God and split up even the gospel of God but Ephesians will not allow them uh, chapter 2 will not allow it. Chapter 4 most definitely will not allow it. But let's not go into uh, a dispensational lecture now. Or a lecture on dispensationalism. 
Chapter 3, then, as we close this, um, this, um, as we close this uh, overview of the doctrine, and again, it's because it's we're looking so high up, we're missing the details, but we've looked at those in the past already. And it brings us, fourthly, to a second prayer. A second prayer in chapter 3. But it's interesting, he begins the prayer in chapter 1. And then there's a parenthesis. There's, there's from verses 2 um, to 13, he starts again giving us doctrine and starts talking about something. And in verse 14 onwards, then, then he continues that prayer as a way. If we want to see verse 1 as the beginning of that prayer... For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, comma, if you have heard of the... So that's, that's all a section, but it carries on in verse uh, 14. So let's take 1 and verse 14 together. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, for this, re- for this cause, in the parenthesis, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints... This is where I got it from before. What is the breadth and length and depth and height? And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God... And again, he's describing his desires. He's describing his petitions. So that's why it's commonly called the second prayer. And that finishes with a a doxology, um, which you might even sometimes hear from the pulpit. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundant, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, that he has been describing, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And so that's the, uh, the petitions, the, 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 the wishes, and then we have the doxology, but then we have that parenthesis. And as I mentioned already in, in when we're looking at chapter 1, in that parenthesis, we have the, the mystery of the gospel now being revealed unto the whole church. And it wasn't fully revealed. It was, it was seen in types and figures and shadows and foreshadowings in, 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 in the Old Testament, uh, in the various test, uh, uh, patriarchs and, and the like, uh, more especially seen in the law of Moses and in, in the tabernacle and more fully in the temple. Uh, those things were revealed to some degree to the Old Testament people of God, but now in, in, the, in, the, in the ministry of Christ, in the ministry of the apostles, in the revelation of Christ, who is the fullness of, of, of the Godhead bodily, who is the express image of the Father, but this Christ and the gospel is now gone forth in the Great Commission, and this mystery has now been opened up to Jew and Gentile. Jew and Gentile is this rich gospel of the riches of Christ and the mercy of God and the grace of God is going forth. And then Paul must admit as he's saying this, whereof I was made a minister in, in verse 7, according to the gift of the grace of God. Again, we've seen the grace of God at work, not just in, uh, not just in, in, in giving Christ and, and working redemption and... and, and 
the electing love of God and all, uh, all these, these matters, but also this, that the gift of the grace of God was given to him to spread the gospel in the Great Commission. But then he must admit, as he's considered these matters that are far greater than himself and far more glorious than a man of dust and ashes, and he says, yeah, unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given. But then he sort of comes back to himself as he considers the grace that I should preach among the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then goes on, the eternal glories of Christ, the treasures of Christ to be found in the gospel of Christ. We'll leave it there as we close off those three chapters and consider some of those glorious matters. I may have dived a little bit too low. I didn't, didn't, didn't keep the plane high enough at times, sorry. But, but these are the wonders that we have in this doctrinal portion where, where really the grace of the triune God of salvation is opened up to us.